G'day and welcome to the Hunter's Campfire Podcast. My name is Mark and along with good mate Ian, we're here to help with all things hunting. If you're looking to start but don't know where to begin, you want to make the most of your next trip away or even plan that hunt of a lifetime, we've got something for you. You'll find our podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon and plenty of others. And if you want more, head over to our YouTube channel, The Hunter's Campfire where we have plenty of how-to and hunting videos along with the full video production of every podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe and good hunting. So, uh, good evening, Dylan. Dylan Smith from Wilder Life. Glad to have you on board. And we are going to bash your ears tonight about trad bow shooting and everything to do with hunting with a bow. Just so you know. So if you just warm yourself up. Um, and of course, we've got Ian with us again. Thank you very much, Ian, for making yourself available and being our tech guy. And with that kind of funny intro, um, I first thing I'm going to do before we jump in is I don't know how many episodes ago, but we spoke about a um, a trade flintlock pistol. You may remember that, Ian. I you do. may not. Okay. So that article about that thing, flintlock pistol, was published. Well, published today. Oh, there you in go. Australian and New Boy. Zealand handgun, which is really interesting because I write for Australian and New Zealand handgun, and the only thing I write about Australian and New Zealand handgun is flintlock pistols. So, like, I'm only like 200 years behind everyone else in that magazine, but anyway. Oh, well, it got published. You'll be stuck. So, yeah, yeah they, they publish a couple. It's an annual. It only comes, you know, it's a, it's a once a year, and I usually get a couple of um, antique stories in there. So, yes, very happy to see that. And that was uh, one of the flintlocks we spoke about some time ago. Well, if you want to go back in time a little bit more and talk about something even older than the flintlock pistol, maybe you could get some tips off Dylan about his trad bow hunting tonight because that's even older. I was going to say that. Yeah. Segway waiting to go right there. There we go. Well, <laughs> that, that killed that idea, didn't it? Be, be, before, before we jump into that, though, I did, I did want to uh, just a little bit of the around the, around the grounds um, candid chat. Um, Black Friday sales. What did you go for? Oh, okay. Go what for it, Dylan. What'd you go hey. for? Did Did you jump uh, on those sales? Are you into I've that? Just, yeah, I I bought a set of uh, a new set of arrows from a Aussie company called ARWD. So I'm looking to um, oh, I just have some higher quality arrows for a change, and that was a really good discount. So that's all I've bought so far. Um, yeah. I think most of the sales are over now. Yeah, it could be all over for now. Christmas will come shortly, but I'll pick your brains about those arrows shortly because I'm I'm a, a budding yeah, cool. trad bow hunter. Mm. Oh, sorry, I can't call myself a <laughs> trad bow hunter yet. I, I'm a bow hunter sometimes when I'm brave enough to put the rifle down and take the bow instead. Yeah. Um, but I picked up a, yes, a, trad, a trad bow, which I love. It's it's so much fun. We'll get into that a little bit more. Mark, did you hit the sales? Yeah, it looks, um, I bought a new Olight torch. I can't remember the model of it. It's the new, lightest, biggest one. You know, you can see it from the moon, that kind of thing. Bought it on the Cyber Monday sales for 40% off. Well, Unreal. I, good believe, I believe it was 40% off. I went yeah. for it. <laughs> I believe it. So I bought it. Yeah, that's, that's what I got. And I don't think I got anything on Black Friday. Um, no. Except for, no, I did. I bought some Lego, but hey, that's nice for, for other people. So, yeah. So that well, was... I ended up, I bought a bit of, a bit of lightweight hunting gear for our upcoming um, Pilliger trip. Mm -hmm. And um, I accidentally bought myself um, hot pink camouflage. 
because I'm <laughs> colorblind and I couldn't tell that on the picture. And oh, okay. Anyway, so um, I'll be rocking the pilliger and hot pink, and I can do that, and I will do that. <laughs> so you won't I get a refund. Nice. <laughs> we won't lose you. We'll find you. No, you'll find me. Anyway, um, onwards. That's all right. I just wanted to see if people were taking advantage of it because it seems that Black Friday this year was huge online, the stuff that was going on. We've really adopted it in Australia, and if I can get a discount yeah. on my hunting gear, I'm keen. Well, did you hear about Green Friday, which is kind of okay. like the, the semi-backlash to it? It's like, you know, don't buy stuff. It's bad for the planet. No, I didn't hear that. No, no. no. Well, well, strange <laughs> enough, uh, I, I did come across it. And the other thing is, too, as uh, Black Friday goes, there's a, a company in the UK called Red Kettle, which make hunting clothes. Um, and their, their summer gear is probably pretty good for us for winter. And I, I got speaking to the guy yeah, who right. runs it. He runs it by his name of Christian, and he's actually Danish. He was living in England. He's moving back to Denmark. I've been chatting to him. So we might try and get him on the program to talk about hunting in Denmark. So, mm, But I'll check their gear out. Okay, enough of the uh, gratuitous product placement. Let's move on and let's talk to Dylan about uh, mate, why don't you give us a rundown of how you got to where you are right now with your hunting? What's what's the story behind it? Um, I guess if you say I'm just like a lot of other kids who grew up in the bush, really. Grew up in a small village outside Inverell, New South Wales. I didn't really spend uh, much time hunting as a kid. I, I tried to a little bit and with homemade bows and arrows and stuff, but uh, my family was predominantly into fishing, Murray Cod fishing. Um, so we spent a lot of time at Captain Dam and time in the rivers and stuff around in Burrell. And uh, yeah, it's just it's just one of those things, I guess, where if you're surrounded by that stuff, then you, you just kind of get into it. It's just the way it happens. So learned how to shoot rifles in the backyard, even um, moved to the coast sort of for most of my teenage years. but went out pig chasing with some friends and their dogs um, sort of around that time and spent some time in outback New South Wales with my dad just on photographic holidays because we're just into the bush and that kind of thing and it was around that time that uh, my brothers and I realised that we were allowed to hunt in state forests because we never had um, you know private access at the time so we just started to ask people how to get our gun licenses and that sort of thing and uh yeah got right into it at the time i was getting heavily into my hunting my biggest passion in life was probably playing guitar playing music um still is but um yeah it sort of all came together when i'd finished my degree and uh, i was looking at moving to a rural area because that's where all the good hunting opportunities are so that's when uh, the band took a bit of a back seat and um, started my job as a school teacher, which I'm still doing at the moment. Oh, and um, yeah, just found myself living in a rural area again after growing up in a rural area. So uh, the opportunities were all over the place. So I've just uh, grabbed the bull by the horns and, and run with it, I guess. What uh, year of children do you teach? I'm a secondary trained teacher so my specialization is in um, ancient history and society and culture so in terms of 
my teaching areas, I teach kids from year seven to year 12, but at the school I'm at at the moment, I'm the head of wellbeing. So my responsibilities go from kindergartners up to year 12s. Where were the metal band playing, <laughs> bow hunting, trad teachers in my day? Seriously, that's, that's unreal. Know. Good on you. Cheers, <laughs> buddy. Yeah, no, I just like a, it's just a lot of it's just part of who I am. Like I'm interested in the stuff that I'm interested in, obviously, and I don't, I don't apologize to anybody for being a bit of a weirdo in that regard. And um, certainly playing the guitar was a lot more when I was living on the coast. I did my high school years on the coast. So um, that's just where my passions went. And like I said, they still are. I'm heavily into my music. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I still play a lot of guitar and I, I do a bit at school with the guitar kind of thing. But um, all the music I, I play for myself is pretty well for, for myself or um, I record songs over the internet with my friends and we sort of um, team up on a few things in that regard. But I probably spend more time hunting and outdoors when I do playing guitar these days, which I'm OK with. It's fine. Mm, for sure. Now, I, I think. I, if I remember correctly, you and I once spoke about a, a, a rifle about a 9.3 by 62. Is that correct? Did you buy a 9.3 yeah, by 62? Think, yeah, yeah. I think you we and I did once. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah. so about that. Um, or maybe even a chat on some on some comments page on the on a, a Facebook page about the game cancel or something. Maybe I might have come across yeah. you because I think there was a point when. You and I had some articles coming out in the um, SSAA mag at a similar kind of time or something. Yeah, maybe. That's yeah. right, because I'm just trying to think. Yeah. That's right. I, I just thought of that before. You know, I, was, I thought, hang on, we, we spoke about that 9.3. The reason that mentioned that is because uh, a couple of weeks ago we spoke to Brian Boyle, which kind of got Northern Territory Buffalo on my mind, and I, I jumped from that to that to that. So, yeah. So with um, yeah. your bow hunting, I mean, did you did you do you start with the rifle? Yeah, mate. I I hadn't I didn't have any experience with bows besides just homemade stuff. And then um, I, I suppose I don't know a few years ago now, maybe even six or seven years ago, I just I wasn't particularly healthy, and I was never really unhealthy, but I just. I couldn't really hunt the way I wanted to hunt because I wasn't as fit as I wanted to be. So I just started to research a bit about fitness and hiking. And uh, I, I just sort of stumbled into a bunch of content on the internet about bow hunting and, and fitness and people like Cameron Haynes and about how bow hunting had um, become really cool. <laughs> so um, I grabbed a compound around that time when I was starting to take my fitness a lot more seriously and then spent a few years mucking around with that and hunting and um yeah I sort of had an accident and dry fired it and blew it up so mm. that kind of it ruined it like I, I had a mate give me another one afterwards but I think once I picked up the trad bow um I found that's really where my interest was in in the bow hunting thing so um I've been running with that for probably about two and a half years now I suppose but still um hunt with a rifle to feed myself predominantly and also to fulfill any obligations i have to landowners who are counting on me to try and reduce as many 
um, animals on their properties I can because if it was up to me with just my bow then I wouldn't be doing a very good job yeah let's let's get real no. for a second <laughs> so, yeah hey tell us about that tell us about the accident with the compound bow did that like did you did it was it just that the thing blew up or you know did you damage yourself with that uh, no no it's just the bottom line is it was just careless I yeah. um I was teaching a class at, at work um I had this elective class that I've run a few years in around now called Bush Survival Skills. We make room in the curriculum to teach some subjects that are just purely for engagement. And um, I think I've got kids in there from year five, six, seven, and eight. So it kind of spans across a decent age group. And I take gear in there all the time just to show them how it works. And a lot of them are hunters or, or their you know, parents or carers are hunters or fishermen. So it's a pretty uh, easy way to, to go about things. And I took a compound bow into class and a Rico bow into class. I showed them the similarities and the differences and I drew the compound bow back and said, of course, you should never really do this because if you accidentally let it go, you'll dry fire it. And then while I was letting it down, it slipped out of my fingers and it exploded. Oh. So, um, oh, I've had a couple oh. of minor accidents with the compound bow. Um, and, and, you know, I haven't damaged myself, but like, you know, de-loops let and go and just smash yourself in the face or, you know, a couple of those sorts of things. And th that was half the reason that I decided I wanted to do more of the trad bow because it just doesn't have as much complexity to it. Yeah. Um, and I'm always, yes. yeah, you see the odd gruesome photo of someone's, you know, you know, the, the, the shaft is, is cracked internally. They don't know it and, it and it destroys itself as, as you release it and goes through yeah. people's hands and like they're, um, they're a seriously uh, powerful piece of gear um, to be able to pick up off the yeah. shelf and, and, and do what Fun you want to do. Scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was wondering yeah. whether you, you developed a bit of a fear of the compound bow with the accident or not, like I had. Well, not fear is the wrong word, but um, you know what I mean. Yeah, well, was, for me, it was like I was happy to to look for some new limbs like I, it was my stuff up so I, I wasn't trying to blame anybody I was just like all oh, right I guess I'll try and find some new limbs and um, I spoke to a few shops no one could really help me and you need a bow press to work on them and it, it just seemed complicated uh, I just didn't like the idea that I might be having to try and find parts in the states and that so um, and then even then a, a friend of mine gave me a compound bow to sort of uh, use afterwards and um, yeah, he adjusted the draw length for me, but then I had to still send the bow to somebody to get the timing changed. And it just just seemed like something. I know I know they work and, and they're fantastic. You know, and I've got friends who who kill heaps of stuff with compound bows. They're wonderful hunters. It's just not something that interests me as much as the trad bow does. Hmm. Yeah, look, I, I I shot compound bow a long time ago, and. Um, and then I put it down. Actually, it was up not long after um, 96. And so I, I kind of went that way. And then I, I moved away from everything for a while. And then so when I when I came, I suppose, back to bow, to the bow, I, I came back to it, you know, a trad bow, a recurve. Um, so for you, was it, did you go to recurve or did you go straight to longbow? What, what was the steps in that? No, mate, I've, um, I've told the story a couple of times in various places, but, I just had a, a bloke I know of the internet. I would call him a friend, really nice fella. Um, 
we both have the same profession, so got a bit in common in that way. And get out of some of his equipment. He had a lot of bows, um, and uh, he, he just said, "Look, I've got one here. I'll I'll give it to you if you'll give it a good home." So I said, "Oh yeah, no worries." Um, so he told me what it was, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, Black Widow," and had a bit of a Google and realized he was giving me something pretty special. So yeah, I'm sort of forever in debt to that fella. Um, yeah, he knows how much I appreciate it. So I just got that because that's what I happened to end up with. You know, I didn't really make a decision either way. And then um, I got it out of the, the case when he posted it to me and I couldn't draw it back at all. It's just way too heavy for me. So I end up um, sourcing a used pair of limbs from America that I really developed my technique with and now sort of go between the two sets. So I um, go in the ABA comps with the lighter sets at the moment and I've hunted a little bit with the heavier ones. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I didn't... Uh, the the heavier limbs that he sent me were 65 or 28. So I think at my... I think I pull about 27 inches. So I estimate about 62 pounds with those ones. And the new ones... Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, like it's... I know that it's not really, really heavy like a war bow or something, but in terms of most people who are just hunting like what we are, not many people use over 60 these days. So, and then uh, the used ones I, I bought from America, they pull 54 or 28, so I estimate I pull somewhere around 50 or 51 pounds with those, so they're much more comfortable. You call that light. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're the light- well, they're the lighter ones. Like I, I did buy a couple of other lighter bows, and I've since sold them to make some space for another bow that I've got coming and whatever. But, um, yeah, 50, like, during an ABA comp for an entire weekend, I'm still maybe getting a little bit of fatigue by the end of the weekend, but it's as much my lack of experience as it is my conditioning in general because uh, I'm still, yeah, I mean, I've only been shooting the trad boat for about two and a half or close to three years, I guess. So there's plenty of stuff I'm working through as well, which <laughs> I'm sure we'll talk about here with the, the struggles that come with doing that kind of thing. Yes, we will. <laughs> so, I, look, I, so I've, I've noticed that you're shooting uh, a longbow as a lot as well. Is it? It's, is it a is it a Norseman or a chieftain or something like that? I've, I've been following you a little bit. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. The brand is Norseman. It's made by a bloke who lives on the central coast. His name's Nick Linton. And the model is the chieftain model, so I, I guess it's his uh, brand has a bit of a Viking theme. So he's got models called the Berserker and the Valkyrie and whatever. And the the chieftain is um, it's just named for his model that is completely straight laid. So it's, it's sitting right here, but it's um, there's no curve or angle in the limbs whatsoever. It's just a completely straight line. Um, yeah, and. and you know, you can get lots of different kinds of longbows just like you can with recurves. And my thinking was if I'm going to get a longbow, I'll get a proper longbow. So it's dead straight, uh, but it does have a does have a locator grip on it. Some people don't think that's quite as longbow as it should be. They like a straight grip, but coming from the recurve, I like to locate a grip on it. But um, yeah, it's a nice bit of gear, definitely. That's a funny thing that I've found. And I mean, I'm only, you know, really just exploring this as well as that there's even within the trad bow there's so many variants of what a trad yeah. bow is you know and you can get you know like a you can get a recurve that 
that is very, very, uh, well, we know if complex is the right word, but it's certainly optioned up sites, you know, interchangeable limbs, the whole lot like that. And then you can go to something completely different, which is, you know, shooting off the shelf. And then you get into the long bows where you might not even have a shelf really, or, or just a grip. Certainly I'm yeah. interested that that's my interest is the next I'm, I'm currently shooting a recurve, but I um I, I, I would like to try a longbow at some time. And I, if I was going to try a longbow, I'm kind of like you. I want it, I want a longbow to look like a, I want it to be a longbow, and I'd I'd, I'd prefer yeah. the straight the straight grip style longbow, like um like a bear Montana or yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing, mate. Like that, people on the internet talk about something called the trad police. And how, uh, you know, there are these spooky people out there who say, you know, you can't shoot, you can't shoot plastic veins, it has to be feathers and you can't shoot off an elevated rest, it has to be off the shelf. And I, I kind of get where they're coming from, but for the most part, um, certainly the way I am and, and the way I use it, because it's not the, I spend more time carrying my bows than I do carrying my rifles, but I certainly kill a lot more animals with my rifles as opposed to my bow. So it's not really the primary way I hunt. So for me, it's just gotta be fun and, uh, you know, like um, I spent countless hours watching Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves as a kid and, um, you know, even uh, Dances with Wolves are the two of my favourite movies. So just having a bow and shooting arrows is fun for me. So uh, long bows are more difficult to shoot than recurves in general. Like they're obviously exceptions, but, um, yeah, it puts a smile on my face. Um, except when I miss big balls from really close. <laughs> Well, you're giving yourself yeah. the ultimate challenge, mate. Um, just getting yeah. up close enough to shoot big bores with a longbow, I think, is a, a pretty good thing. Oh, yeah. And, and um, uh, I forget, I was listening to one of these podcasts a couple of hours ago, and maybe it was actually, maybe it was you, and said that, you know, pigs were made for bow hunting or pigs and bow hunting go together. And yeah, it's, it is good. And um, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, but like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to, to screw stalks up and that sort of thing for the sake of carrying the bow. Because I remember when I was getting into it, it was when the drought was at its peak here in New South Wales, and um, there were just so many animals on the properties where I hunt, and the farmers were just like, you know you really need to be doing something about these numbers. So I was doing the best job I could with my rifles and shot a heap of critters. And um, I, I did enjoy it the whole time, but certainly started to wear me out a little bit. I was trying to um, butcher all the deer that I was shooting. I, I didn't really want to waste any of them if I could help it. So I just had this opportunity in front of me of all these animals and uh, it, it just made me think, man, I really should just grab one of these bows and, and see what I can make happen. And right when I started getting to the point where I felt confident taking a bow out for a hunt with me, then all the rains came and everything's been a lot more spread out. So the, the hunting for me has been pretty difficult in terms of not seeing as many animals as what I'm used to. But, um, you know, it, it's still been really good fun. And, uh, even just shooting my bow in the yard, I'm, I'm enjoying that a lot more. I don't I don't really shoot my rifles unless I have to anymore. Um, so it's a lot easier to go at the front veranda and just let a few arrows go every evening. So yeah, it's just it's it's been good fun and um, it's something I'm just really looking forward to spending a long time doing. <laughs>
as long as I can. That's certainly it for me. I, I think, I, you know, COVID kind of got me back in the, into bowing. You know, I was just, I was kind of missing doing anything with the rifle. And I thought, well, you know, don't have to let me let a couple of rounds off down the street, but I reckon I could get a bow set up. So I set up a, a, a you know, I literally set up a range at the, at, at, ha at home here and then went and bought a bow and said, oh, okay, let's see what happens yeah. with this, which probably wasn't the smartest thing to do. But anyway, that's how I did it. And, um, <laughs> you know, and, and, and I also bought one for the, for the girl as well. So we had two of them just to start with. And, uh, I just bought a, a a 40 pound um recurve uh, a, a a pretty cheap one but it, it it's a lovely little bow um 58 you know inch shape a little hunting bow and i just started slamming away with that and just spraying them everywhere but i was having fun and and i, I spent a little bit more time on what i when i got my wife got her a nice 20 pound basically a, a, a target bow that's really really nice to shoot and actually my youngest is shooting and my oldest is shooting it now it's way too long for him, but he loves shooting it. So, mm. but and then I, you know, I thought, oh well, I'm starting to get an idea of what it is, and so I, I then I jumped to a a, a bear um, super Kodiak, which is um, yep. a lovely bow to shoot, and that's at 45 pound, and um, I'm, I shoot that every day because I, I literally can. I got a 14 meter 14 meter range here at home, and I can shoot that, oh, and that's... and and every day, you know. Oh, not every day, but often the kid will go past on a skateboard or a bike, and he'll stop and he go, he, he'll he'll see me, and he goes, yeah, "That's so cool," or something like that. <laughs> That's something like that. And yeah. we've had we've had friends over, and we've kind of had like this little bow shooting session with friends. Uh, that's the one. That's what I find most enjoyable about it. You know, unfortunately. I don't live in a situation where I can do that every day with my rifles or a shotgun, but I can do it mm. every day with a bow. And yeah. certainly, you know, and, and yeah. it's, I think it's also great for the, for the boys too, you know, um, the, the fact that you've got to um, concentrate um, with such intent is actually, I think, really good for kids. I like, when I say to my son, yeah. when he picks it up, I, I say, you know, I say, we want to get quiet mind, you know, because he's, he's, like every other eight-year-old, he's got three thousand things. Well, he's yeah. got you know what, which new Pokemon <laughs> card he wants to trade, and and what new cartoon he's seen, and what his mates got at school, and all that stuff. So it's actually good to just you know, just quiet mind and just get him to practice, and he's starting to fling him okay. So, and he, I think he's, uh, he, I think he might be a bowman. He might have it. <laughs> he might have it in him. But you know, you can have worse things. Um, a, a son to get into than bow hunting that's for sure yeah look it's, it's, oh, oh yeah 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 look and they're, they're going to be big boys too they're both of them you know so I'm, I'm looking forward to the day that i don't have to carry anything um i, I can tell you that right now i'm you know they're, they're going to be big strapping lads and i'm going to go well there it is you can carry it out now i'll just sit there and watch mm. but um and i you know and uh and i've said to him well mate i'll back you up with a rifle so don't worry nothing will get you but um that's that's the kind of <laughs> That's that's the kind of uh, the way we're moving, and we and we go. We I take my eldest away hunting once a year to a, a really good property in New South Wales that we go to. So we're we're building our way towards it, and um, and the other thing is too, you know, again, it's uh, it's just so much more um, convenient. I think is the best way to describe it. Yeah, yeah. It's just like that, that, and and you know, and uh, practicing throwing lures. You take the hooks off, and you can just practice yeah. them in the backyard. I think. Well, I've got a. 
a three-year-old, right. just turned four-year-old, I should say, who's um, he's got a little bow that he likes to plink arrows at, at dad's target as often mm. as he can. And um, I, I encourage that more for the dexterity of being able to actually pick up an arrow and knock it and balance that mm. on a little bow and, and, and do that. But, yeah, I picked up a, my first trad bow uh, through this whole COVID process as well. Um, you know, I've had the have had the um, the compound for a while, and I've had some success with that, which has been great. Uh, but we're lucky enough to be on acres, so outside my office, just here is a, and it's my office that's away, well away from the house, um, and I've got a 16 meter veranda across the back of it, which has a target at one end and a 16 meter mark at the other, and I can keep going back to about 40 meters if I want to. Um, but the the pride and joy on the property for for practicing the bow is the is the 60 meter um or 70 meter i think it is um uh dressage arena that my wife trains horses oh, yeah. on so i've got this perfect flat nice. piece of ground it's all sand you know you can put all your markers in it and it's got a, a nice big embankment at the back to put targets up on so um for our club um, we're organizing you know a day for people to come and you know we, we have um, a, a semi-professional um comes in that knows a lot about bows and bow tuning and and set up and all of those sorts of things and you can go through the one-on-one -on -one setup with every single one of them to get the arrow flight right and the weight right and the front of center right and the right you know whether it be veins yeah. or you know what a three or a four combination or feathers and it was a really interesting process to go through with him uh when i was setting up because i just figured oh, i'll just go pick up the bow and i'll just use my compound arrows and they should be right right and oh yeah i can fire them and they had a target that's okay but when he talks about how to set it up it was um it was a fascinating one-on-one -on -one session for two or three hours and i walked away with a completely mm -hmm. different setup than i thought i was going to have um different arrows yeah different weights up front four goose feathers on the back not three not plastic veins you know and there was no way in the world that i that i was going full trad you know you know the trad police are going to be all over me dishing out tickets like you wouldn't believe um you know because <laughs> yeah. i thought i would have three plastic veins on the back of those things so that i could intermix them with my compound bow um and, and why would you want feathers that you can't really hunt within the wet you know and things like that um yeah. and he convinced me otherwise and we went through it and, and one of the things that i didn't even know with bow tuning um you know i, I gave him gave him one of the arrows that i that i uh, planned on using and we talked through the the weights of what we were going to do up the front and and we started practicing with our veins. I thought, how's this going to work? Um, but enough weight up front and, and that works. And this is just all of the experience that he had to help me tune it. And I went away so confident with this brand new bow. Um, it was unreal. So, yeah, we're going to encourage that process with yeah. our with our club and, and people will come down and, you know, whether they camp or, or whatever, but they'll have this big 70-meter range to play on and, and and introduce new people to. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an important part of the process, I think. Yeah. Yeah, look, I I've think been, so, mate. Are you right, No. I was going to say uh, that's something that I've noticed from your watching yeah. your videos is about that tuning process, and I, I think that's well worth talking about. I mean, because one reason I don't yeah. understand it, so I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm keen to learn. Yeah, well, yeah, certainly was going to yeah, ask. Well, yeah, how you set up your gear and 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 you know, and specifically for for new people getting into it, some advice, I guess, on uh, what not to do. You know, like the you know we're all we're all in this now generation and you know we've been sitting there buying stuff online um 
you know, if I'm going to go and pick up a bow without <laughs> asking too many questions, what am I going to get wrong? And what should I do about that? It would be, uh, yeah. be good to get some advice. Yeah, well, um, I, I know I am, uh, uh, you know, in, in the, the thing before this chat, I just was so terrified about people thinking I was trying to come across as some kind of expert because I'm just not. But uh, I've, I don't know, I've learned a few things over the last couple of years and um, I'm certainly doing my best to talk to anybody else who's new in that, like, you know, I've kind of grabbed all this knowledge from a bunch of people over here who are really good at it and if I can, I'll, I'll try and help other people who are just coming into it, you know, but there's, there's still plenty of trial and error with it. But look, um, one of the things with the compound, the first compound I bought, I bought it off a bloke who just happened to be about the same size as, as I am. So I just bought it off him and the arrows just worked and the sight worked for me. Um, so I talked to people and had my arrow set up. Oh, what's, how much weight up front? Well, I don't know. I, I knew how heavy the broadhead was. They're asking me what inserts I'm using. I'm just like, I don't know. The, the ones that come in the arrows, like, I don't know why you're asking me these questions because they don't matter. Yeah. And then, um, so I was just, I was just lucky that I happened to find myself with this bow that I could shoot okay. And I killed a few animals with it and the arrows flew okay. And then, when I got into the, the trad bow thing, that the whole idea behind it for me was I need everything to be much more simple. And after I really got into the tuning the arrow thing, the, I wouldn't say it's a complicated process, but when you look at the compound, the, the compound bow is a complicated piece of gear. But if you get a shot to basically get you to shoot it and then set the bow up the way you need it to be set up, then you can get the arrow, you can tune the bow to the arrow a lot more. Whereas now, with a trad bow, you, you can't really do that. So you basically have to do whatever you can to the arrow to make it shoot well for you. So once I understood that, I had a phone call with a madam one. He basically walked me through this process. He's like, look, man, the arrows you're shooting, it is far too light for someone who wants to hunt pigs and deer and goats. So just, you know, buy these arrows off this website, whatever they were, just cheapy um, Eastern power flights, and then buy... 100 grain brass inserts and then you know just get one of these bare shafts and glue the insert in and then put your point on there and just keep shooting it uh and it'll come out oh, okay, i've got to get it right now if it comes out with the knock to the left yeah it's a weak shaft and if it comes out with the knock to the right it's a stiff shaft so essentially um people with a really long draw length don't have this advantage because I can basically just whack almost whatever weight on the front of an arrow that I want to and just keep cutting it until it gets right back to the shelf until it stiffens. Whereas, um, so my arrows for some arrows for my, my black widow with the, um, the light limbs, they're about 27 and a half inches long. My arrows for my longbow are 27 inches long. And with that bow, because it's a, a slightly different grip, I only pull about 26 and a half inches with it. So I've got that advantage. Some friends of mine have 30 inch long draw lengths. So they've only got a couple of inches worth of play in terms of cutting and they've got to muck around with their point weight a lot more. But uh, the other trap that I, I fell into a little bit was I was just trusting that my release was clean enough to make the arrow behave consistently and it wasn't. So um, I was doing things with my release that I'm making it come out knock left or knock right or, or whatever and I didn't realise it was a problem of mine as opposed to a problem of the arrow. So 
you can go down a little bit of a rabbit hole in that space. But I would say certainly as early as you're able to and as early as you feel confident in doing so, you should start to just cut some of your arrows and put some weight on the front just to muck around with it. Because when you get to the point where some of your bear shafts are coming out pretty well straight, and then you put some feathers or fletches in the back of them and you get your wife or whoever to stand behind you with their, your phone and get some slow motion videos and they're just coming out like darts, then you can just shoot with so much more confidence. You know, it's it's exactly the same as um, just picking up some random rifle off the shelf and some random ammo and you kind of feel like you know what it's doing but not really and then you get into hand loading and all of a sudden you see what you're really capable of um, in terms of your accuracy and, and then you can shoot with confidence. Um, so yeah, confidence is like, you know, it is in most things, it's a massive player in the, in the trad bow scene in, in that regard with your arrow flight and, and all that jazz. Yeah, well certainly, um, just changing the weights up front and, you know, slightly stiffing the shaft up by taking bits and pieces off the front or off the back. Um, I, I just couldn't believe how much difference it made. Uh, and to have someone that knew that, because yeah. I didn't know that. I had no idea about that. But to, to actually go and talk to someone that knew about that and then spend a couple of hours with them. And in his opinion, when I left, we had the best arrow combination for me, which I didn't even know was a thing. Yep. Um, you know, and you're, you're talking yeah. about various different shafts that you've purchased. And I think the ones that you said were just cheapies. They're my favourites. Um, but they just have to be the ones that I had at the time, I think. Uh, but he, he told me what to go well, and They're get. readily available, yeah. Yeah, that's right. they're, they're, they're easy to find. And, and for someone who's beginning, you know, with a bow, um, who's just going to be, you know, smacking them and trying to get used to uh, just the weight of the draw and those sorts of things, um, it's a good start. If you're going to then get into the one percenters, you're getting into the, the better shafts and various different things. But um, it really opened my eyes by talking to someone who knew what they were doing. Uh, and you're right; it gives you all that confidence. Oh, yeah. And now I see that arrow fly, and I can and I can read it. I know what it's doing, and why it's doing it, and that that's really yes. important. Yeah, and you know, if it comes out a bit awkward, it's probably something you've done, especially with the longbow, because any any inconsistency with finger pressure and all those, it'll just you'll just see the shaft just keep way out. Um, even with the feathers on there, I obviously it'll correct after a little bit, but um, when I first started shooting, I just had them all coming out in all sorts of awkward directions, and I just thought that's the way it was, you know. And the other thing as well is uh, there's so much information out there on the internet with this kind of thing, and there's plenty from the old generation with the greatest of respect to them because there are plenty of people who have done some amazing things before I got into it, obviously, but um, a lot of the information that, they have put out there on various forums or whatever about tuning arrows is um, just along the lines of, you know, put enough feathers on the back and it'll straighten up kind of thing. And I don't mean to say nobody knew what they were doing, but certainly the, the information about tuning arrows, um, there's some stuff that's, you know, <laughs> way down here about lots more feathers and just grip it and rip it. And there's stuff that's all the way on this side, which is changing things, you know, the half a percenters and, and as with a lot of things in life, I tend to find myself pretty well in the middle somewhere. I, I get to a point where I feel pretty confident that I'm achieving what I need to achieve and just go with that. And maybe in a few years, I'll get good enough to notice a couple of things wrong with this particular shaft or whatever it is, and I'll go with something higher quality. But um, it's with the trout stuff, it's so difficult to shoot um, 
it's difficult to shoot within the or up to the potential of the gear i guess you could say like you could have the the best or the worst arrows in the world and still at about 30 meters um i'd, I'd have a hard time telling the difference with them and a lot of people would be like that so um yeah i try not to get too caught up in it but at the same time certainly with the weight of them um because the heavier they are the nicer your bow is to shoot but obviously you go too heavy and then it's like throwing a you know, a shot put at someone, so there's a bit of a happy medium to find there as well. Yeah, okay. And then um, you're obviously hunting with them, so what is your theory on broadheads and the right type of broadheads and mechanical broadheads versus the more traditional styles, three blades versus what, sharp versus jagged? Like, There's so many different schools of thought out there. There was, there was actually a fantastic media podcast recently that talked about um yeah there was a bloke that, did you listen to that one it was fascinating um yeah it was yeah. all about the mechanics of of the arrow essentially wasn't it uh, yes yeah mate look i i've got i've got stuff that i like but i'm not going to pretend that i know it's better over something else because um I've literally, I've only ever killed stuff with uh, two blade, single bevel heads that I've sharpened with a file and then got onto a strop and whatever. The, I use Outback broadheads, uh, which are Aussie made broadhead. Um, I don't think Luke's making them at the moment because he's moved. But uh, so yeah, I've I've read the Ed Ashby stuff. I listened to that media podcast. I listened to a lot of other podcasts, and there's stacks of thought out there. And everybody's got their own experiences and what they like. So I wouldn't say what I have found works the best as much as I would say this is just what I've killed stuff with. But um, I find this, like I've tried to sharpen double bevel broadheads before and obviously people are really good at it. I just find a single bevel really easy. I like the stuff that Ed Ashby has said about how a single bevel will spin when it hits a target and there's more chance of splitting bone and whatever but um yeah i i mean I, my experience only goes as far as my broadheads have always been super super sharp so when i've put the broadhead in the right place i haven't had anything close to an issue with with getting done what i need to get done i think maybe with my compound i put an arrow through a, a peak that i never found but as soon as it came out of the bow, I knew it was a terrible shot. And um, I've used those Outback single bevels with both my compound bows and with my trad bows, and they've worked really well. Only difference being most of the trad bow stuff, I've used a 200 grain head as opposed to 130 grain heads because I'm usually trying to push the weight up with my trad bows a little bit more. But uh, yeah, I want to try some three blades at some point and maybe for the rut as well, when um, the deer are, are pretty um, tense and there's a chance that you know they might jump the string a little bit, I like the idea of maybe an extra cutting edge to try and get a bit more bleeding. But yeah, I don't, I can't really say too much about broadheads because I've only used one brand and one style, um, and there there are obviously stacks out there on the market. Um, one thing I personally wouldn't do would be use a an expandable head with a trad bow. I think I've seen some people doing it, but um, typically speaking, you just want, you know, efficient 
cutting ratio, like a three to one or close to a three to one. And uh, as long as you can get it really sharp, that's the, that's the main thing, I suppose. And then putting it where you want to put it. I think your 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 limited information just tells people that what you use works. So there's probably not a, a lot of need to change yeah. it. Uh, and is it fair to say that the majority of your hunting, your bow hunting, has been with on pigs? Has that been the the main game of choice, or is it a bit more varied than that? No, I've got um, killed several pigs with my compound, and then. So far with the trad bows, I've taken three goats and one pig. And I hit a deer last rut with my trad bow and the arrow broke off. I definitely hit him in the shoulder. It wasn't a good shot. Um, but like no amount of a fancy broadhead or anything would have made a difference in that regard. Um, it was just, yeah, it was really close. And I misjudged where I had to hold. Um, and in that space too, you know, goats aren't quite as hard as, as pigs. The the pigs sort of have the, their skin's a lot thicker and well that's yeah, like I mean I um I know it's difficult to make comparisons between the rifle stuff and the archery stuff, but I I really don't find fallow hard to kill. Like I've shot a stack of them with small rifles. Oh you know like with two to triple twos and two to threes. Um yeah whereas the the pigs um Shot with my compound, died very easily, except the ones that I hit poorly, of course. Um, yeah, most of what I would put it all down is to just making sure the broadhead's super sharp. Um, I think for me, that's like I sort of rate myself in, in terms of getting them to pop the hairs off my arms and my legs. So, um, yeah, it's amazing how quickly stuff will die. And, and with the trad bow as well, like I'm getting pass throughs with both the trad bow and the compound bow. So, I, I can't really notice a difference in terms of the penetration in that regard, but I'd say I've, I've got a pass through on nearly everything except for one pig where I hit him sort of up the ribs and the arrow lodged itself in his offside shoulder, so I was never going to get a pass through even with a compound in that regard anyway. So, yeah, it's all interesting to observe, you know, and, and collect data and think about what you could do better or do differently. You'll be um, still kicking yourself about that deer. If you if you you're yeah. still trying to get one on the ground, eh? it's a they're they're a challenge. Yeah, mate. I uh, like I mentioned previously that it was around the time I got the recurve bow. I wasn't going to hunt with it, and I was going to hunt with my compound until I blew it up. So it was also in time that my wife bought her first rifle, and um. Yeah, I spent two weeks hunting basically and between my wife and I, I think we got, uh, might have been five bucks on the ground in that couple of weeks and we could have shot way more. Like this, the, the drought had just had them all concentrated around the last areas of feed and, and water and um, I'm sort of sitting here, I've been absolutely spoiled with some of the access I've got in terms of the fallow deer, you know, there's just rat activity all over the place, it's just absolute cacophony of noise and, and action and then the following year when I took the trad bow out we got all this rain a couple of months before and I just I barely heard a croak I barely saw anything at all I spent most of my time just walking around just hoping to hear something so I was spending a lot of time rattling in the bushes and in in good spots of cover but most of the time I hadn't heard or seen a deer 
before I was rattling, so I was all completely blind. So I had a couple come in and I just wasn't ready for them. I got really close to some and I thought, right, yeah, next year it'll be better. And same kind of thing, it wasn't much action. Um, and the one, the one buck I did get to come in, I could see him. There was, there was two of them and they were both probably about two and a half years old, like maybe just a year after a spiker. And I've just, I just watched him from probably 200 meters away. Rattle, 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 and he's just come straight in. And uh, yeah, I was behind a log, like every, everything was perfect. And he, he just came in so close and so fast. It might have been three meters away at the most. Um, but it was to the point where if I didn't get him to stop, it would have been really difficult. So I let out a noise and he stopped and he was just kind of quartering on. And it was so dark, I couldn't even see my arrow in my peripheral vision. So I've just let it go. So it felt pretty good and he, and he hopped off and spent a bit of time looking for him in the grass. I couldn't find him. I couldn't find any blood, but that could also be because I'm also like, and that I'm colorblind as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. And um, I, I, I was there another couple of days later and I found my arrow in the grass and I was stoked. I was like, oh yes, I missed it. But I picked it up and it had snapped off at the, the front of it. So um, that also tells me that it probably was a fairly, like it wouldn't have gone through into his engine room at all because if it had, it would have gone straight through because I was using the, the heavy limbs for that deer. So, yeah, um, I think I just hit him in the point of the shoulder and he's, he's probably okay. But um, yeah, I replayed it in my mind, as we all do when you when you make bad shots. But um, it was at least good for me to know that, well, at least put the story together that I'd made a hit in a particular area as opposed to, you know, hit him through the guts. And I, I knew he was probably dead somewhere, but, you know, might have been kilometres away. I don't know. Uh, but... Um, I know people like to be critical of bow hunters in that regard because there's a, a small margin for success in some ways, but I've certainly made more bad shots with rifles than I have with my bows because I've shot a lot more critters with my rifles. So these things happen and you just got to try and learn from it, move on. Oh, most definitely. I mean, yeah, if, if you haven't made a bad shot, then you haven't been shooting enough, to be honest, you know. Yeah. yeah. I um, I've been starting to you know, film myself hunting. And uh, the last outing, I was the first time I managed to get the camera set up on a deer that I was going to shoot. And uh, all I filmed was a really good miss. Um, that was it. <laughs> it's the first time I got it, got all work. It happens. And, so. That's right. I got everything set up, the camera, everything was right, Mr. Deer. So, you know, that's what happened. So, um, um, you know, and that's with a rifle with a scope. So, Shooting a, you know, basically a, a, sh a pointy stick off some other sticks, and uh, expecting it to, to to be like an exocet missile, you you you've probably set your expectations a little bit high. I'm still really interested in this idea of tuning. I, I've got to in, I've got to investigate that because I, I'm the first to admit I I haven't really tuned this thing. So so um, tuning the arrow and uh, as I said, shooting a recurve off the shelf. Um, I probably got a bit more of a draw length than you, um, but yeah, that idea of tuning it and playing around with weights, um, like Ian, I'm using the, you know, the, what what thread am I using? I'm using one that came with the arrow. Um, I'm using, I've got yeah. a broad, I've got a broadhead that I I, I um, that I've sacrificed for for practice, 
so it's not sharp anymore but it's it's the same kind of broadhead it's a, it's a you know single bevel just a just a flat broadhead and i use that as the as the practice one and the good ones are sharpened and sit in the case but certainly thinking about weight and uh, what that means um yeah certainly it's given me something to think about i'm going to have to investigate tuning those arrows a bit better because I'm, I'm basically shooting them as, as i got them as i did with my compounds a long old gadget yeah i picked my compound up the shop set me up just like dylan said i went away i could hit the target and i was comfortable and i've knocked some animals animals over and that's fine but i've never really understood the mechanics or the tuning of it um this i thought i needed to do a, a little bit better uh, and I just happened to be lucky to have this fella in our in our club that has a lot of experience in this. And I think used to have a shop. I used to set people up and had every different type of everything you could possibly want to just try out and figure out. So, um, yeah, lucky to have him uh, around us to do that. But, yeah, Mark, you'll have to come up to the to the boat day to. that we set up and um, we'll talk about it a bit more. But, yeah, well worth it, I think. Most definitely. I, you know, most definitely I have to tune that up because I do want to, I do want to hunt with it eventually. So, um, but, um, being the, the, the fact that in fact, I've got probably got better opportunities to hunt with a bow now than I've ever had in my life. Cause I've got somewhere pretty close to home. So if it's not successful, I can, you know, I can, I can, I can deal with it. There's nothing worth going away for eight hour drive and, and, uh, not on and limiting your success. The fact that I've got an hour and a half or, and I can get on that deer. I do want to, I, I, and I would like to take a red deer with a bow. Oh, I most definitely would like to take oh, a red deer with a bow. That'd be cool. Um, that that that's kind of what I want, want to work towards. But I, I I'm always kind of think, do I do I want to do it with a long bow or do I want to do it with the recurve? So I'm kind of still mucking uh, around with that. I, I got to the point where I don't think I'd be fussy uh, there. <laughs> you know, getting, getting 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 onto deer yeah. and then managing to get yourself into that position until you're you know you've got some years of experience behind you is a multi-year mm. uh task uh, you've got to be ready for the disappointment um you know all of those things that go with it, it it's a skill and I, you know it's funny we talked to andrew day you know he was a psychologist um that was on the podcast a little while ago you might find that interesting dylan but he uh, he also had a um uh a couple of things that he put out on youtube about um just about men's mental health and how and how the bow was his uh, tool of choice to help people, um, you know, dealing with that. And, and like you were saying, Mark, you know, getting a quiet mind and mm. uh, you know, all of those sorts of things. Well, um, yeah, certainly um, I think being able to deal with the frustrations of bow hunting in your mind and going back again and back again and back again and dealing with it and training yourself and then, I think coming up with the success at the end of all of that would be amazing. And, I, and I've done it um, with goats. Not that that is anywhere near the challenge that a deer is um, because they're just stupid. Um, pigs I haven't even tried, uh, even though bows and pigs go together like we spoke about before. So I'm going to have to give that a crack <laughs> um, just because I've picked the bow up and that should just be done. Um, I'd be interested in doing that. But deer I would absolutely love to to take with a bow but i the realism in me is uh, i've got a lot of work to do yeah look i i took a deer, a red deer at about 40 yards to this year um in fact i got too close 
the angle was all wrong. And in the end, uh, you know, I, I spent all my energy sneaking up, trying to, you know, impress myself about how close I could get. And the trouble is when I got that within that, because I was there on a hill, I got to the point where I go, oh, I can't see him now because the angle was all wrong. So I literally had to stand up and expose myself to get the shot off. But um, so, I mean, I, I do like trying to get close, but I, I suppose with the luxury of a three hour eight in your hand if i don't get too close i've got something to do but um you know 30 yards with the, with with the, with the with the pointy stick um i think is about probably my limit too so it's a long way with a recurve man mm-hmm. or you know long bow but and 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 i hear you too fellas like um well i reckon like if i had to press the reset button and live my life again I'd probably still find myself into the archery. Uh, I just, the certainly the last six months, 12 months maybe, I've just gotten so into the archery as a discipline as well as the bow hunting thing. Like I've always considered myself more of a hunter than even a, a, a marksman with a rifle. Um, and uh, I just, yeah, shooting a bow and owning bows for their aesthetic purposes or whatever like i just enjoy the whole thing so much um and i can also say that i've had plenty of experiences since i picked the bow up where i've been within 20 30 meters of some awesome critters and i haven't been able to make the shots so i haven't been able to kill them but i would say i probably had more fun getting that close to them and screwing the stalk up than I would have had if I had have had my rifle and blast them from 200 metres away. Um, I would have certainly enjoyed it more again if I had got them, but um, I've, even when I was hunting a lot more with my rifles, um, like I've got a 30-30 with open sights and I love getting inside 50 yards with that thing. I just like getting really close. I like, I just like hanging out with animals and, um, Again, I'm, I'm blessed with my opportunities. Like, I, I used to hunt a lot with my brothers. They don't come away with me as much anymore because they're busy young men, as a lot of, you know, lots of people get busy. And I was telling one of them, um, you should get yourself a bow, man. Just, you know, just muck around. I come up here and it's just like, dude, like, I live in Sydney. I come hunting maybe once a year. When I go hunting, something's got to hit the ground, you know, like I want to take something home and, and I get that, you know, like you're not always successful, but, but I get that. Whereas, um, again, I live in a rural area. I've got several places I can go hunting, public land and private land. And I'm not the only person actually, and this is, <laughs> this is true. The only person who is upset when I come home empty handed with the bow is my wife because she's like, Freeze is getting low, you know, you're mucking around with this bow and, you know, we need to fill this freezer up. So, uh, <laughs> um, then I, I, yeah, I mean, the last time we went hunting, I got her to bring her rifle and I had my longbow. So I was like, if we see some pigs in the long grass, it's all me. If we see anything else, you deck it. So that's what we did. And, uh, yeah, got a bit more meat as a result, which is good. How awesome, though, to have a partner that, um, is hunting with you that's that's pretty rare these days i think i'd I'd love it if my wife took up i, I say that now uh, i'm fortunate my wife has her own hobby in in equestrian so if if she's not out 
uh, with the horses camping somewhere competing, um, then I'm out with the rifles or the bows you know, yeah. hunting. So, you know, she's away as often as I am. So there's a fair trade-off there. Um, now, I'd like to say yeah. that she should get into hunting and we could go out and do this together. I think that would be magic, but um, sometimes it's good to have your own thing as well, right? Mm. Um, but, yeah, certainly um, oh, yeah. if you're able to go on a family trip like that and, and have the backstop, um, be, being your wife with a rifle behind you, that's that's something special. <laughs> oh, yeah, mate. And, like, I've, I've been very – I mean, I'm, I'm super lucky. I know I'm super lucky, you know, like my wife's the best. But um, I met her right around the time I was really starting to develop the ideas about the way I wanted to live my life in terms of, you know, just a block of land, grow your veggies, live fairly sustainably, or, you know, the idea of living a wilder life for lack of a better term. Uh, I made that term up with my dad, but so I probably, I mean, I'd still be hunting as much as I am right now if I hadn't met her, but the fact that we've met and got married and got a house on a small block of land and she takes care of most of the garden stuff and grows all the veggies and whatever else like i i do really like my time in the bush um and then if we're at bush together and we're hunting once i get past the frustrations of watching her you know sore on the bones <laughs> with the knife that i spend hours sharpening uh it's just a yeah it's great it's really good <laughs> she's gonna love hearing this so <laughs> we should have brought her along. Um, so, uh, and I may have got this wrong. Um, you, you termed a, a wilder life. Um, that's the, also the name of your YouTube channel. Is that correct? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, the wilder life. Or yeah, trying to remember what you said it was as we were talking. Mm -hmm. um, I hadn't. Oh yeah, I haven't meant to find it. I have to. Um, have to take a closer look at that. Um, so, so how did you get into to, to the YouTube side? Because if it's if it's not hard enough to um, to take critters out with the bow, you're walking around with a camera now too. Mate, look, I I probably got into the photography before I even really got into the hunting. You said um, that before you went on family photography trips. Yeah. Well, um, my dad's just a gun photographer. He's my photography mentor. You know, he, he's just amazing and. Um, he's a bushman. He used to be a hunter. He's not anymore, but not because he doesn't like it. He just couldn't be bothered. He's happy with his cameras. So he hunts regularly when he's hanging out with me. And, uh, I, I mean, I've just been interested in the bush. I've been interested in all the animals. It's, it's just part of who I am. And I was on a hunting trip with dad and, um, Marcus, the editor of the, Double, uh, not the double subway mate, Marcus, the editor of Australian Sporting Shooter, um, hit me up on Facebook. I had a bit of a rapport with him. I might have submitted an article or two previously. And he said that a columnist had um, like sort of resigned and he needed somebody else to write a column for him. So I, I said, yeah, let me think about it. Went down the pub with Dad and a friend of mine. We were up in Weeper hunting at the time. And, and Dad said, I think you should do it. You know, it'd be good fun. You get to flex your literacy muscles a little bit and get a little bit of money for doing the things you love. So dad and I had had this conversation not long afterwards or around the same time where 
we weren't so much trying to come up with the idea of a brand because I don't have merchandise. I'm not really looking to get a great deal out of it, but we were just talking about, I guess, the concept, like what is it that I'm really trying to do? Because uh, I suppose at the, at the end of the day, I'm trying to either just share what I do in case people are interested or, or go towards educating people if they're interested enough to maybe want to participate in a similar kind of way. So I said something like, I'm just trying to live a life that's a little bit more wild than other people live. So whether it be, like I said, growing vegetables or forward driving, camping, whatever, if it's, if, if it's out in the bush or it's um, anything to do with rural Australia, you know, raising animals or hunting animals, then that's what I'm, I want to be a part of. So we just said, oh, it's, it's like you want to live a wilder life than other people. So that's where we came up with the idea. Um, I didn't really think it, it would go anywhere. It sort of hasn't really, but it's it's just given me, a, a, I suppose, a, a space to occupy um, on Instagram and YouTube that I feel like any of the photos that I take, I can share it. And then it's branched out a bit more into the video with, I've just always liked to take videos. Honestly, like I would be, um, people think I'm crazy when I say this, but I'm, I mean it genuinely. If if I had a handful of really close mates and we were all you know, public land samba hunting in Victoria or we were all chasing pigs in South Central Queensland, which we've done before, I am just as happy uh, or potentially more happy to not even have a rifle with me and just have a camera and take photos and, and take videos. I love it. It's, um, it's sort of uh, a little bit of a nod to the artistic person that I, I like to consider myself we spoke before about you know playing music and writing music I like to do this stuff I like to take photos and share them with people and um, I, I find myself conflicted when I'm by myself because I have a hard time deciding whether I want to hunt or whether I want to take photos or videos so the couple of videos I have I'm certainly a couple of the videos I have where I'm self-filming myself hunting with a recurve bow it's just a significant amount of mental energy when I'm out hunting to do that stuff whereas if somebody else is the subject like my wife or some friends of mine or whatever and I just have to worry about my camera then I'm, I'm almost happy because it's it's an easier job and uh, I can just worry about that one thing you know so it's just another way I enjoy being in the bush and enjoy sharing what I do with people if uh, they happen to be interested yeah I think uh, one one uh, assists the other anyway you know, the, the more you carry oh, your, yeah. your bow and you get out there and you get amongst it, the better your photography is going to be for it anyway because you're going to get yourself more experience and getting in close and, and vice versa. Um, I think it's great. I mean, Absolutely. it's such a difficult thing um, uh, to be able to, to do both, um, you know, and, and hats off to everyone that does that. I think it's really great. Um, I also think that for a lot of us, I think there's a natural progression. Once you've been, in, once you've been a hunter for you know a reasonable period of time and you've had some success you know either with the rifle or with the bow um you know the success changes in, in what it is that you do and and for me it's about just regrounding and getting out you know with a few friends or by myself it doesn't really matter um and just going and spending some time in nature and seeing the the animals that i want to see and the success is finding those animals and, and getting up and, and seeing them um so so i've also progressed to a point where no no i haven't taken thousands of animals and, and nor do I need to I, I fill the freezer and 
from time to time we go on a trophy trip um, because that's what I want to do and we've had some reasonable success with that as well. But if I can be behind somebody with a camera, I'd love to do that. That's good fun. I like documenting um, other people's hunt trips because it's great for them. Um, I've also mentored a lot of people through the branch. So we, you know, we run a lot of mentor hunts where I have taken uh, people on their very first deer hunt and they've taken their very first deer. And I've been lucky enough to be able to video all of that for them as they hunt. So I guide them and help them. But at the end of it, I'm able to present them with this 15 minute YouTube clip that they can go and share with their family and, you know, and, and have that piece yeah, of, definitely. Of, of photography that, that they'll remember forever. And I have a good time putting it together. So yep. I, I understand what you're saying. It's, it's, um, it's yeah, great. Sure. But, you know, it's that kind of, I think what happens and I, it's, it's silly to kind of talk for everyone, but I know for me, it's this idea of storytelling. So, yep. you know, the funny thing about hunting by yourself, you know, then and there's been lots written about hunting by yourself, you know, the, from from an ethical point of view, you know, true ethics is what you do when no one's watching, um, you know. So, and but that idea of that you're actually by yourself and you experience something, um, and then when you talk to someone about it, it's you, you immediately know that they're not getting what you experience, you know, because it's it's such a, a visceral thing. You know, it is it's red it is red of tooth and claw. That's what it is. You know, that's what you're doing. You're doing something that's, you know, right there at the, the very bones of existence. And then you're trying to explain that to someone and you know, and you just go, I know this is not I'm not I know I'm not able to fully communicate this. And so that idea of somehow storytelling through video or, or you know, photography, I think it's really you come to that point where you want to, you think that's the best way to share this. And I mean, I was, I was looking at one of your videos, one of your most recent ones where it's basically you just going on a trip, um, you know, Dylan, and you just, it's just a trip, but you can see that. And, you know, you look at the comments and people are just gone. That's just fantastic. Now, you know, if you kind of pulled that apart, if you, if you took that to a, you know, an advertising agency and they went, well, mate, you know, this didn't happen. This didn't happen. This didn't happen. This didn't happen. But you kind of go, yeah, no, isn't that wonderful? <laughs> isn't it wonderful yeah. that it, it, it didn't yeah. go like that? It wasn't it wonderful that the fact that you just went out there and you just explored and, and you, you took the, the world as it, as it presented itself to you rather than this kind of, choreographed type of event where you know I, I you know here's me driving here's me loading here's me hunting here's me killing here's me butchering here's me back at home again and here's all the products it's, it's just this journey of i've just gone out you know and, and what i really liked about your your video was there's actually a not much audio in it you know it's it's you, you're kind of yeah. just watching and that's that was i thought that was quite powerful in a way because i thought that you know there's not this kind of necessity of a voiceover to explain everything you know it's just this this is just watch what's going to happen and, and and you look at the comments and you see that 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 resonates really well i think that storytelling is a big part of of that that desire i know for me anyway the desire to to video and get video right is i actually want to try and communicate the story yeah well i feel the same way mate and i appreciate your comments hugely actually because um like the laptop that I'm on right now is about to die and I just sunk a heap of money into this video editing computer um, because editing the videos, I was 
I wasn't motivated to keep making videos because it was taking forever because my computer was just so hopeless. You're my youngest then, self. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I was oh, man. I was using a, a shitty yeah. old laptop that I managed to pilfer from work. Mm-hmm. Um and I was using freebie Lightworks mm-hmm. to do my video editing uh, because I didn't want to pay for anything. It died. And yeah, I went and had a custom built machine uh, made. Um, and it's, yep. it's incredible. You know, what took three hours oh, of man. rendering takes seconds. Uh, and, you know, yep. I've, I've trained myself to use the Adobe suite to uh to put my stuff together and um it's been great it's a great learning curve but everything you're saying i've sort of gone through it uh, (laughs) well i like i was talking with my dad he he recently upgraded his machine too and um his his laptop was older than than my one and and he's just getting so annoyed at this thing and he's just a whiz on photoshop and lightroom and premiere he's just unbelievable and um, he's like, look, just sink the money into you, into a new computer. You won't know yourself. So I'm like, righto. And so that particular video that Mark's referring to, I've got that footage in July and it's just been sitting there because I didn't feel like touching it. And then I, I loaded my new computer up and I, I must have put the whole thing together in less than an hour, and which is not long <laughs> if you're out there and you don't know how long it might take. And again, that, that, that storytelling is just so... I, I agree, Mark, like... For me, I, I'd write a few reports on a forum or I'd write a short story for a magazine and I always wanted to have some some pictures to go with it because the pictures tell part of the story, obviously. And um, I've always been the kind of person to take photos of just a bunch of other random stuff just because I, I like being in the bush. You know, I remember I was, I was literally in the middle of bombing up a mob of pigs with my mates at Macquarie Marshes and I happened to see this little falcon you know, so I've just walked off with my camera and my mates are just, you know, into them and, and I didn't care. It was great. And then the video thing is a next level because um, if you've got a half decent microphone, you know, you can pick up these sounds of the bush. And for as long as I can remember, I've just enjoyed being in the bush. And um, what Mark said too about, about hunting by yourself, like I, I love taking out newcomers. I love taking out anybody who appreciates the bush as much as I do, but there's always, and this isn't a criticism to anybody I take out at all, but there's always this underlying, I'm always wanting to do right by them. Like I've I've found it particularly the case when I've been out with mates, um, we've been chasing pigs with dogs and it's just action. You know, we're off bikes, the dogs have caught a couple of pigs, we've got those ones right here, we're off again. And I'm just keeping up basically, whereas when I only have to please myself, then I take the time and I'll get a photo of that bird or I'll get some footage of that grass in the wind or some dew or frost on whatever. And, and, and there's a real story in that because there's just so much other stuff that is happening that I find interesting or I certainly enjoy experiencing or, or being around. And it, it's, it's not quite the same unless I'm by myself. And I think a lot of other people, um, sort of connect with that when when they watch a video like that where yeah there was no talking or anything it was just the sounds and maybe some very quiet music and and nothing really happened at all <laughs> would have loved to have shot something but I, I shot a I shot a bush I think with my bow and that was it yeah I did I, there was one part where I was going I was thinking, what, what what can he see what can he see 
<laughs> why can't what's, what's I see on? that? Why, what's going on there? What's well, going I think on there? You may it's have gone. answered my my next question because um, you, you you talked about being in a metal band um, and collaborating. I, I was curious what the backtrack was going to mm. be, but I, I think you've sorted that one out for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're not uh, you're not overdubbing yeah. it with some some sort of th- dirty thrash or anything like that, which is nice uh, to hear. Yeah. There was another point you made before, you know, before we got on the video, which I, I I just wanted to touch on was that one of the and I and it was a point I I totally agree with is that there's a certain aesthetic to a, a traditional bow that you just want to like own it. You look at it and go, this thing is just something you want to. And I and again, that might not be for everyone, but for me, you know, I just like that. I just kind of went. I just want to own that because the way it looks, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. it's got this amazing, you know, and, and I don't, when I go like, when I go to, for me, there's a place called Apex Hunting, Apex Archery, that, that's where I go to, and, you know, and they've got a wall of, of, of compound bows and they are, you know, they are, you know, they're, they're wonders of science and technology, but they don't appeal to me at all. But then you come around a corner where it's basically there's, you know, a laminated stick that hasn't changed too much <laughs> for a couple of thousand years, and you kind of go, "This thing just looks right," you know. It, it's a, it's one of those weird things where it we, you know, somewhere a millennia ago they got it right, and they went, oh, "Okay, well we got it right now. We won't be playing around with this too much from now on." And you know, so the aesthetics of a, of a, I think of of the for me anyway, the trad bow is is something worth looking at and that idea when you you know when you were talking about the trad police I, I i sometimes wonder if the trad police are really not criticizing the bow but they're criticizing the effects of the aesthetics like if you get a if you get a you know a long bow and you put and it has a more of a uh, recurve style grip on it or or it's a it's a recurve that's got you know uh, uh a, a mechanical shelf on it rather or rest rather than off the shelf and they're, they're really more than i think they're just complaining about the 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 the, uh, the breakup of the aesthetics rather than the componentry yeah no i agree and uh mate it look so much of of what i do in my life um it, it's it's about the aesthetic values like the animals that i'm the most obsessed with like a a peregrine falcon, for example, I just think there's nothing in the world that looks cooler than a peregrine falcon. And then in terms of my guitars, I've got a Fender Stratocaster and I've got a Gibson Les Paul, you know, they just look classic. Um, even with the rifles as well as the trad bows now, like a Winchester Mod 94, beautiful piece of equipment, or a, uh, like my Triple Two is a, a Seiko 461. Yeah, it's just one of the most classic rifles uh, you can imagine. Uh, and right down to, I mean, my wife just, it just drives her nuts because she's kind of a minimalist in terms of, I don't need that much. I just like to do my things in the garden. Whereas like that I can never have enough knives, you know, I just buy knives because they look cool. That's it. And, uh, and like, I mean, they'll get them sharp enough. They'll all do the job. Some are better than others. Sure. But man, there's just you just look at these knives and and again being the being the, being um into history like i am uh i just love the idea that i might grab a hold of something that is 
in a way fairly similar or aesthetically similar to something that somebody may have held one, two, ten thousand years ago and, and done kind of the same thing. And um, I've been really getting into my audio books and I've been listening to some novels that are, are set in around the time of the Hundred Years' War between uh, mainly England and France and, and they're just built around this idea of the longbow. <laughs> so you're, you're listening to this story when you're driving and the, the person in the book's talking about how these archers are just built of muscle from pulling these U bows and the goose feathers on these arrows and it just makes you feel good because... It's, it just it, it just captures your imagination. You know, it's it's stuff that you've got because you think it's cool. It makes you happy. Um, uh, you know, in the same way, like I've I've also got synthetic stainless rifles in my safe that I take out when the weather's poor, or um, you know, when I'm going a really long way and I need to rely on something. But um, it's not the best looking thing in there, and it's not the first one I would go to grab if I if I had to just pick one to go out for an afternoon. So. Yeah, I'm very much into the stuff that just makes me feel good and still is a, a pride of ownership, I guess is another way of looking at it. Um, and, and, yeah, like I've got lots of stuff in this room <laughs> that I'm sitting at the moment and I need to build a shed to fit it all in there. But that's okay. It's, you know, future plans. Yeah, look, um, uh, I totally agree. I'm, 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 I think sometimes I'm probably over over excess with aesthetics like i'm sitting here playing with this little knife and uh can we see it it's a lovely little pocket knife but what i've done is i've bought little aftermarket screws just to make it look a little bit better i, did, I thought <laughs> no that that needs to be improved that, 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 there's something <laughs> oh, yeah, i'm not in the so yeah I, I i totally agree about the aesthetics of it all um that's very much. and in terms in terms uh shed updates uh I may have mentioned it. I uh, certainly mentioned it. Yeah. Um, my wife, who's a, 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 a real artist, she uh, we were we were building her a studio shed in the backyard to do to do uh, to 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 video and all sorts of things like that. Well, I, I'm the, I've got the shed now. She wants she 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 wants to keep the garage. I'm going to the shed, so I, I am fitting out the shed with fishing rods and and all sorts of and all the stuff for the video production as well. So. It's going to be a great little yeah, studio, definitely. so I'm I'm moving that way myself. Make sure you yeah. you um you, you trench some underground uh, Ethernet cable yeah look, to that shed so that you're yeah. not relying on the house wireless for your podcast. Well, that's it. We don't actually run. We were actually hardwired in this place. That was one of the things the guy did um, when because we're running a business from here, so we are hardwired. So yeah, I'll, I've figured I have to figure that out because. I will be doing, you know, video production from there. That that's a big part of it. It was a studio. It was the idea was it was a, a studio. It's just that um, we're, we're we're pivoting on who's going to be in the studio now. So, so I I completely under uh, agree, and um, I have to admit, um, I've only recently broken my habit of um, the collecting knives. I've I've had a kind of slow. I have, I just literally went. I've just got too many. They're still in boxes, you know. They're still. Uh, yeah, I understand. Yep. It's a habit we all have. I That's think. I'm, okay. On the side, I have, I have my favourite knife, and then I got gifted a beautiful, um, I think it was a Bark River knife for. Uh, our, 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 uh, all the all the boys in the club gave it to me for my fortieth, and uh, it's the only knife I've ever used since. I still like my other one, 
and I had this other knife that was a wedding present that my dad was given by my uncle. My father passed away years ago. I've always kept this bush basher horrible thing that would never use for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some reason, I kept it because it was a gift to him on his wedding day. And I had a uh, somebody break that down and turned into a hunting knife with his initials, my initials, mm-hmm. my son's initials. And it'll never get used oh. until we, we take our first animal together as a father and son pair. And then we'll, we'll use that knife on that day um, is the plan. Um, but I also have, oh, that's a nice knife. I'll buy that. <laughs> and it's over there in the box yep. and it's never been used. And um, yeah, I don't know why yeah. we do these things, but we do. We do, and and I'm I'm sure that I'm sure that the the um the the industry in Australia is very happy that we do. Yes, that's right. Yep, that's right. That's right. I'm, I'm just supporting the economy. That's all I'm doing. Yeah, a few things in the pipeline, but I think a lot of the people who are involved in them are talking about them in particular spaces already. Like there's a um there's a TV show that my wife and I are going to get filmed for in early February and that's nearly completed and I think it's going to be out on a major network um, and that's why I might be meeting them. I, I mean, this Chloe uh, from Ridgeline doesn't know me from a bar of soap, but OSA is like a major sponsor of the show. So I haven't, I haven't even heard of it. Yeah. Um, so oh, really? Okay. Well, um, I'll start out like, I'll start out like I haven't been mumbling about it. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. To, to, talk, yeah to one me, talk, talk to me about this this thing that uh, seems really cool. I I haven't heard about it, but I don't. Was it on free to wear? Is it what sort of channel is it on? And wh- why wouldn't I have heard about it? I mean, I don't watch a lot of commercial TV, so it's probably just bypassed me. No, I I watch zero commercial TV. Uh, I think it's gonna it's a TV show that's going to be on free to wear, I believe. Um, the bloke who is organising it all, his name's Craig Pringle. It's called The Season. And he is a, a videographer or a, or a TV cameraman or whatever by trade. He's also a passionate outdoorsman. And I kind of got connected with him through a couple of mutual friends in the in the forward drive camping industry um, that he'd worked with beforehand. So I might have been talking with him 18 months ago about... Um, yeah, he's just putting together a TV show. He's just looking for people who would be good representatives of hunting in Australia because he wanted to change the dialogue of, or, or change the perception of Australian hunters. Um, and I, it's certainly, what I've seen so far, there's a bit on Instagram under the season. It just looks schmick. And um, this is me just saying what I think about it. It's not necessarily words that Craig has said, but it, it's, it's something that I believe is going to elevate Australian hunting into the kind of same kind of vibe as things like meat eater or or these really big things. In that it's um it, it's it's basically just following around everyday people who live this kind of lifestyle. Um, so some of the people who are involved are big time bow hunters and um, big time cooks and. And uh, yeah, the, the the spin for my wife and I is that we live on a small property. We raise some domestic animals. We grow a lot of our own vegetables. We spend time removing pests for farmers because we have that obligation. But we also spend a lot of time just hunting purely for ourselves. So what the filming and all that looks like, I don't really know yet. But 
yeah, in another couple of months, um, the, the crew will be here and we'll be having a good time. And um, I'm certainly like, <laughs> I'm a little bit nervous about how much it might blow up because uh, I'm not, I don't really know what I might do with that. But my motivation for having the yarn with Craig was more just like, look, you know, it, it's very much a case of leading by example. And I'm by no means a perfect hunter, but I spend a lot of time educating kids uh, professionally. I spend a lot of time educating other adults, like friends of mine who are interested in hunting and they want to know more. And uh, to me, it's just a case of, well, look, you put your money where your mouth is almost. You know, there's an opportunity there to, to present hunting in Australia to, to a lot of people who aren't going to be very familiar with it. So it's a really good opportunity for us to get some good publicity and try and change the, the way the public might, might feel about us. Um, and, I, I, you know, I, I listened to a couple of these podcasts beforehand and I know Ned mentioned a lot of similar things about the way the public's looking at, at pig doggers and, and all that stuff. So there's a, it's a huge opportunity really and the fact that a major network's going to have it on um, is just a, yeah, it's a huge deal. So I'm really looking forward to being involved with the project and trying to, you know, play a, a small part in, in what could be um, a really big positive shift in attitudes toward, towards hunters in Australia. So we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, it looks, it looks very interesting. I, I, they do say that it's on the major network, so I'm, I'm not sure what exactly what that means. I'd like to get some better understanding of that. Because, um, I mean, uh, you know, Beyond the Divide's been going for a number of years now. Um, and that was uh, that was on uh, well, what was free to air for a period of time, but all you know through the through what 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 we used to call Briz Thirty One up here in Brisbane, um, but then you know it moved to uh, it moved to different platforms. So yeah, I, I'm certainly interested in seeing what it is, and and I, I'm 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 of the um, certainly of the what I call the abundance mentality. You know, the more the more that there is positive conversation, positive imagery out there the, the the better we all the, the better we all you know the more we all benefit it's you know it's the food court model yeah you want to have you want to have something for everyone and that's how you, you know you, you don't want to be a, a specialist and be the only show and tell you want everyone having their bit everyone being involved everyone seeing a different view of the thing and someone kind of go well you know the guy who hunts deer all season doesn't appeal to me, but the guy who lives off grid with his wife, that really, really appeals to me. And, you know, and, and I think that's the, that's the joy of what we do. It's in it, I suppose, again, if we want to, you know, have a, the metaphor for the bow, there's a, there's, there's a thing called a, a trad bow, but boy, that's a, that's a, a broad, broad brush to apply to, a, you know, a piece of wood. And, and I think hunting's the same thing what is hunting is is an incredibly diverse and 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 uh, interesting topic to discuss because you know we all do it from a different point of view or a different experience or we have you know slightly different uh, you know what's our motivation be it you know pest control be it be it food for the table be it for for a lot of people just to, the feeling that you're actually doing something and you're actually part of nature rather than being a tourist and just kind of driving around and looking at, you know, beautiful views and then heading back to the local coffee shop. So I'm really keen to see how it's received more broadly by the Australian public because it sounds like a very, very, um, you know, admirable project. I'm excited. 
I've just found it on Instagram as we're talking and I've, I've learned about this show that I crave to find on TV and my, and now I'm going to know one of the one of the stars. Like, that's right. You heard it here first, people. That's right. That's Dylan's it. Dylan's going to be there. Yeah, so um, that's right. And you know, that's awesome. I think that's fantastic. That's right. That's it. I think that's it. You know, that if you know if if and only by what you've just you've discussed. But if if there's a story about you know two people who you know basically live and let's let's use your term a wilder life, but you know growing your own food or, you know, or at least supplementing your food, supplementing your food by, by wild harvest, as well as, as, as animal husbandry, those kind of things, man, that, that's, that, you know, that's what people crave. And I think, uh, you know, COVID has, has certainly, you know, instilled that we, we, we actually want to do something where we're not so, so dependent on woolies or, you know, coals, God, you know, who wants to fight over toilet paper? So you know that that Very that's true. not that's not life. You know and that's not life. That's not living. Living yeah. is you know you know trying to trying to do something a bit different to march into the beat of your own drum. Mm. So yeah, I'm 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 very excited by it. And what I've seen by it, it looks pretty good. Yeah, definitely looks cool. Mate, it's a it, it, I'm very very keen to see uh, see. I can I can point to the to the girl. Look, I know him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, he's a yeah, he's like a, I just he's that uh, you know, yeah, guitar playing science teacher. <laughs> so, so guitar <laughs> playing history teacher who, who answered teacher. the bow. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Oh, man, look, I, yeah, I'm lucky, I'm lucky to have been connected with lots of interesting people in the last 10. 11 ish years that I've been doing this, just as I'm talking to the right people or um, connecting with people through work or through my brother's work or something. So, um, like I said, it's a, it's a really big opportunity more for Australian hunters as opposed to me um, or Kira personally. So, uh, I'm just hoping that we can um, yeah, do a good job and, and have the vast majority of people watch the show and, and feel that. Um, Every one of us who's going to be on the show is 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 representing things in a positive light and hopefully uh, move forward and and help greater society understand what it is we do. Look, Ned Macon, we we mentioned him a couple of times. Said it once, you know. There's there's people who hunt, and there's the people who hate hunting, and they're already fixed. You know, if we if we want to influence, we've got to influence the people right in the middle who kind of, nah, I'm not sure. You know, you don't talking yeah. to hunters is great because you know you always you always agree on anything, or if you don't agree, at least you're all coming from the from the the, the same point. Talking to any hunters is just you know just expending energy because it's it's a moral decision on their part, and that's all it is. It's it's those people in the middle uh, who who maybe or maybe not or don't even know or don't even think about it. And I and I must admit, for me the amount of people who when they find out that I hunt kind of actually don't have a, a moral objection. They have more of a kind of lack of understanding. They kind of go, what is it that you do exactly? You know, and yeah. what is that? And, what, and, and so, you know, and they're, and they're pulling, they're pulling, you know, bits and pieces of knowledge from, you know, from, from TV shows and things like that. Or they had an uncle once who was that or something like that. 
and there, I think yeah. that's where that's where the point of influence is. People like that. So, it's, and you know, TV is a is a is a huge influencer. I think if you can subtly, to start with, bring the subject into your peer groups, your work groups, mm. and the people that you're around, um, you can positively influence them. Um, you know, my everyone at my work knows that I do this. And so many people at my work from way upper level management um, to to people in my team to to others that hear about it, um, contact me and say, how do I get involved? Yeah. Like I, I just I just I, they actually crave the adventure. You know, they want to they want to yeah. they want to be they want to be in the middle of nowhere for a little while away from the noise and the hustle and bustle of corporate life. And, you know, the whole subsistence style living or just, you know, whatever you want to call it surviving off the land for a week to get away from things appeals to more people than we think and i also think that a lot of us are potentially too scared to bring it up as a subject because they don't want to be attacked um which means that we keep it more secret than it should be you know, it doesn't get the air that it needs sometimes but look that's, that's, that, a difficult that, that's fair enough too and um that one of the joys of um, turning 50 is you no longer care. So, so I'm, I'm <laughs> 40, 40, <laughs> mate. I know, like, yeah, I just tell them. I tell them. Yeah, like, the, I like I, it. I I my problem. Yeah. Uh, how, how terrible. What are you doing? I'm going hunting. Uh, <laughs> so that's it. So, yeah. So uh, that's, I think that's it. That, that's it. I mean, and that's a, that's a, that's a challenge for a lot of people bringing it up. I um, recently um, have, I have a friend who's now just become the CEO of one of the, Australian uh, charities involved with men's health and uh, I was she I'd worked with her before in a charitable context and uh, a few months ago she uh, is actually when I was away on holiday with the family she sent me a, you know, a, a messenger via Facebook with a with a photo of me from um, Australian Hunter and said this is you and I said that is that is me and she said and and I went, oh, how'd you find that? And she said, well, we've actually put an ad in the magazine about a rally for 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 men's men's health. And she went, hey, so and and, and this conversation started, and and from that, you know, it just it grew from there. So that's there is a lot of people. There's a lot of potential for for positive positioning of hunting and and the lifestyle. Um, and and people will be. I think often people are more susceptible to the idea that you're doing something of value it's just figuring out a way to uh, how to have that conversation to start with yeah being in a country area dylan and a you know in the school system i don't think the subject would be too difficult um, to broach with kids um and maybe you know and that is probably somewhere where it needs to be but relocate yourself to a, a city school um that that conversation could be a lot harder mm. Yeah, look, it it absolutely would be. Um, again, I've I've been very lucky with. Well, I've been lucky that I've ended up in rural areas, but at the same time, um, one of the reasons why I wanted to be a school teacher. There's a stack of reasons why, obviously, but one of the reasons is because it's a really stable job that you can have in essentially any place where there's a school, of which there are plenty of them, <laughs> obviously. Um, in rural areas. So um, as soon as I 
made my mind up that this was something I was going to be doing in terms of the hunting stuff. I was like, well, I'm just going to move, you know, and 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 live out in the bush. So I spent the first eight years of my career living at Gilgandra and got a lot of good access around Gil and spent ages shooting foxes and pigs and whatever. And then I've since moved to the New England Tablelands, which is where I'm originally from. And uh, look, it makes it makes a difference in any workplace when you've got really supportive bosses and supportive community and um i even came to my new community and had kids at school recognize me from the stuff i put on the internet already so within the first couple of weeks of of coming to my new place of of work i had the conversation with my principal i said look bud uh i do this there's no reason for you to be concerned there's nothing that's going to get me in trouble or nothing that's inappropriate just saying that he's like cool uh, I'm sure the kids love it. I'm like, yeah. So then, that's then led to, like I said, this this bush survival skills class. I've I've taken um, gutted deer carcasses into the hospitality room and skinned them with kids and taught them how to make jerky. I've um, I've taken in deer tongues and hearts and livers and cooked it with the kids and taught them about eating offal. Um, uh, like, I mean, I've, I've literally walked past my principal's office when he's been having an enrollment interview with a new kid. And as I've walked past, he's like, oh, this is Dylan. You'd really like him. He's a hunter too. <laughs> so uh, I guess what I can add to this particular conversation in this space is um, something I am fascinated by is um, just how much middle ground there could be in the metropolitan areas that, hunters or the extreme anti-hunters ever don't really realize is there like i've hardly had any negative comments or attitudes whatsoever from staff students or community um when i've i've brought this stuff up and and most of the people who do the same kind of thing certainly if they're not even really hunters they know somebody who hunts or they know somebody who fishes or they live on farms um it's it's City people probably don't quite understand just how normal all of it is out here. And um, it's a genuine part of life. And um, I've had conversations with, um, with, with younger teachers. I, I, I can say younger now because I've been teaching for more than 10 years. <laughs> um, younger teachers who ha- have, have come out to a rural area and then they've had these conversations with kids like they, um, for lack of a better term, that they just they just don't understand, and they might ask these kids in their class, "Oh, so what did you get up to in the weekend?" And the kids say, "Oh, we had to shoot a bunch of kangaroos." And they started to, well, you know, you you really shouldn't be shooting those kangaroos, you know. And these kids are just looking at them like, "What, what the hell's wrong with you?" Like we got these wheat crops, and the kangaroos are eating them. Like this is how we make our living. And I've had to have, well, not like I haven't lectured people i've just said look if you want these kids to get on with you you want these kids to have any ounce of respect for you you can't just arrive here from the coast and after a day pick a fight with them over something you don't know anything about so um everything i try to promote in terms of any thought processes whether it be hunting or talking to people in cities is just be curious if you don't know what it's really about as opposed to judge first up you know like go out of your way to try and learn something as opposed to just you know, hammer somebody when you don't really know what you're talking about because there's an opportunity for, um, like we said, people in the middle ground to be influenced. And 
in my experience, I've always been able to influence them positively when they've identified me as somebody who might exist on a fairly extreme end of society, um, to use their language. And then they use me or my wife or the both of us together as sounding boards, you know, like, oh, but what you do this? It's like, well, yeah, but we yeah, eat them. Or um, all the foxes we shoot in that area are actually protecting the endangered turtles that live in the river in that area, you know? Like there's, there's, a, lot, there's a lot of nuance and uh, the more we communicate it positively, that's the, only going to work in our favour most of the time if, if, we do a, if we do a good job with our communication. <clears throat> Yeah, look, you've hit the nail on your head. I think that the 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 big thing here is that there's nuance in this, and if you're able to have the the opportunity to explain that, you'll actually become an influence. You know, yeah. and look, and some people won't listen to you. That's fine. They won't listen. To you. That's okay. They won't listen. That's it. But there is a lot. Of, I think there is a lot of people who will listen, or at least kind of be inquisitive enough to kind of go yeah okay i need to know more or i'm interested and i mean i've found that i mean i i you know i grew up i'm I'm an inner city boy all my life i grew up in the inner city um i just happen to be interested in other things but um and like my boys go to a a local school but it's a, a lovely little local school and it's small and you know everyone at that school know well not everyone but most most people who who've come across one of my boys knows that I hunt because you know my boys take skulls to school for show and tell, you know. So nice. yeah, that's it. So my boy, you know, it's show and tell time. What do you want to do? Oh, I want to take you know a fossil, or I want to take a pig skull, or I want to take some hooks, or I want to take some antlers, or something like that. So and you know, invariably they go, well, where'd you get it from? Oh, my dad shot him, and uh, <laughs> that's it. It just kind of comes on from from that, and 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 most people. Um, well, I've never had a negative, any kind of negative feedback from that. And if it has been negative, they haven't had the, 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 you know, the nouse to actually communicate it to me. So I've never had anything wrong with it. I did have a, um, um, yeah, but never been anything negative about that. And some of the parents, you know, and the, the other thing is too, is that whilst in the city, there is a lot of people who have no experience of country life or what you might call an outdoor life, there is a lot of people who do. You know, they just have their version of it or they come from they come from a rural setting or they've come from a regional area. So they do bring some knowledge with them as well. So it's quite interesting that, you know, once you have that conversation, and, and to be honest, this reminds me of a podcast we just did with, with Chloe, was about if you can have that conversation and you can have a conversation with, through, a, through, you know, through a level of of nuance and not pushing an agenda, but actually explaining what you're doing and answering questions, you can have a great deal of influence on people. Mm. Oh, yeah. yeah, definitely. We've run a good conversation. We're we pulling do. into two hours now, so that's sort of where we sort of like to cap a few things off. Um, I like to try and uh, wrap up with a few of the takeaways that I've written down in my in my book. Over, over, <laughs> over the course of the Pro. conversation, but there's so many of them. Um, I'm, I'm really inspired by the way you do what you do, to be fair. Um, you know, to, to be talking to children um, in, in a day job, uh, looking at promoting what you're doing through a TV show that's going to come out shortly, 
and I know that wasn't necessarily on your on your list of things you were going to discuss, but it, it came out fairly naturally by surprise. And thank you for that, because I've now added that to my list of things I want to do uh, in my spare time, if I can do that. But certainly just wanted to say thanks for spending a couple of hours with us. Um, we try and get some really interesting people onto the podcast with different perspectives that can help the new guys come in and understand some of the little things that they might want to do to get the experience they need to be confident in their hunting um, around the trad bow and the bow you've certainly give us an, an insight into that and um, i think uh, before we we leave and before i pass over to mark it'd be great if you could just uh, let us know where your socials are we've talked about your youtube channel but um, where do people find you on youtube insta facebook etc so that we can Drop that in the in the uh, in the comments so that people can find you. Um, and other than yeah, so if you could pass on those details first, that would be great. Sure, mate. Yeah, so if you go to YouTube and just type in the Wilder Lifer, two words, or go to Instagram and just type in Wilder Life, you probably have something come up. And uh, I do ride for Australian Sporting Shooter, and my column is called the Wilder Life Column. So. Um, I think I've been doing that for over four years now. So that's something like over 22,000 ish words published. Uh, my math is probably horrible on that. But yeah, so that's where you can find anything that I'm putting out there YouTube or Instagram or in the magazine. Awesome, mate. Thank you for that. We'll make sure that we pass the details on. And if people want to get in contact, they can or subscribe to your channels and give you some support. That'd be awesome as well. Cheers. Mark? Yeah, look, I just want to say thanks for to, for accepting the invitation. I know that when we first spoke, you said, "Oh, I'm not sure what I'm gonna what we got to speak about." And I thought, "Yeah, there's enough there. We got something. We got something." And look, I think it was really it was really pertinent that you said, you know, like I'm not an expert, and I actually think that's it's actually a great way to start any conversation. Look, you know, uh, I'm not an expert, but I'm someone who's who's, who's tried and experimented and learnt and willing to share it on and, I, and that's what you've done tonight i think which is great you know that i'm i myself you know probably need to give a little more attention to to my bow than i than i have and and i'm sure there's a lot of people listening who who've, who've seen what you've done and thought you know well that's he's pursued a career he's pursued a lifestyle that he wanted to pursue and i I think that's a great learning for so many people, you know, have a crack at something. If you think about what it is and pursue it and uh, be it hunting or be it, you know, photography or whatever it is or bringing all those things together. So, mate, again, appreciate you taking the time and um, good luck to your, uh, you know, your forthcoming television career. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Eh? I really enjoyed it. I always enjoy talking with people that have had this kind of stuff and I'm I'm stoked that you uh yeah so there might be someone half interesting so that's cool thank you awesome mate we'll keep in touch and um yeah good luck with uh with everything well, see you again mate